Welcome to Hope and Heresy, Life on the Religious Left, where we wrestle with contemporary issues using history and theology as our guides. Our task is to reclaim religion for everyday people who want to live meaningfully without letting arbitrary doctrine or oppressive religious practice prevent us from asking big questions about our complicated world. I'm Reverend Sarah Lindsay. And I'm Reverend Peggy Clark, and we're Unitarian Universalist ministers broadcasting from Community Church of New York here in New York City. Welcome to Hope and Heresy. Today's episode is all about sex. We're talking about history and culture, talking about shame, talking about spirituality, religion, and sex. And sex. (laughs) (laughs) Today's episode is called Talking Dirty. Welcome. Today we're talking about sex, which might feel a little bit weird, like having the two ministers talking about sex, and guess what we're talking about is, wow, why is that weird <laughs> ministers talking about this? This is one of those things. Sex is part of life, and so we're going for it. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're going for talking about it, yes. Um, yeah, so this question of why is it weird when sex is so vital a part of life for so many people not everybody right um why don't we like to talk about it what makes us scared to talk about why do we think it's weird if our clergy want to talk about it right I mean sometimes even talking about it with friends we don't want to do that but we specifically don't want to talk about it with someone who seems religious like people apologize to me sometimes if there's like anything you know related in any tangential way to something related to sex it's like oh i'm so sorry meanwhile you know what are they thinking like we're human beings well or like if you ever experienced either like you're you're working with a couple that's going to get married or you're working with someone a couple who's having issues in their partnership and you ask about sex and they're kind of like right right i don't know (laughs) and you're like this is a very normal part of most people's partnerships like of course or just lives in general so of course we're gonna ask about it right yeah and yet, it makes people feel weird. Right. And there's obviously a really good reason, a long, long history of why that's the case. Right. right? And it didn't used to be the case. I mean, the Greeks were totally open. Yes, this is true. The Romans were doing pretty well. Yes, yes. Um, I was I was telling Peggy earlier about um, a high school art history trip I took. Mm-hmm. And we went to Pompeii. And if you've never been, there's a, a, you know, a lot of preserved things from the volcanic ash, right? And one of the things that's preserved are these frescoes in a brothel so it's just like it's a visual menu of all the (laughs) things you could possibly want to do in a brothel um and so yeah there were times long ago when people were much more open and much more sort of frank about all of these things right then augustine came along well (laughs) among other folks but yes yes so you do you start to get this funny thing when christianity comes along and gets institutionalized right everything starts to shift a little bit around sex and sexuality. Yes. A lot of it is about power. Who's in power? Yep. And then, and there are people like Augustine who really then create this culture. And that was his own personal thing, his own like, should I be with this woman or shouldn't I be with this woman? And, and then feeling ultimately like, 
No, sex is not a good thing, and I need to devote myself to God. My favorite thing about Augustine is that moment when he's like, you know, make me a good guy, but like not yet. Not to right? right. like, <laughs> Yeah, see, that's what makes him so relatable. You're like, yeah, I get that, right? Yeah, like, ultimately, I'm not quite done with the fun. But then his final decision for celibacy sort of screws the rest of Christianity because he becomes this model of, you know, leave the woman and your son, P.S., behind. And that the holy way is not to live with them, but to, you know, become a bishop and live. Well, and this, this is what's so fascinating, right? Is in the early stages of Christianity, Christianity, priests, bishops, everybody was still having sex, still having right. babies, still getting right. married. St. Jerome, not married, had kids. Yep. Right. It was not a problem. And then you get to the institutionalization of Christianity, right? You get Constantine, you have a state religion now, and then all of a sudden you have the instruments of power are not just violence and economics, but sex and religion right. all get wrapped up into it too. Right. And you end up with this very sort of dualistic, like deny your body in order to be saved and get to heaven. Right. Like, like purity takes on this whole new cast. And, and, you know, also wrapped up in all of that, right, is the idea of um, like inheritance. I was going to say, it's also about money. Right. Like right. The church losing the money yeah. to the to the wives and the kids. Right. Once they put right. up the priests in these rectories yeah right and so it becomes you know if we play down the sex thing if we say that's bad and you can't be devoted to god if you're also having sex then we get to keep all the money because you're always gonna be single you're just gonna be single and it's all just gonna stay inside the churches and that's you know it's really interesting to think about the ways that sex money and power have always on some level been related from the minute you get some sense of um the family unit being more important than the community at large, right? right? So when you get this sense of, I will own something, I will pass this thing down to my child, then all of a sudden, that institutionalization of power and money, that that generation over generation passing down of it, gets super tied to sex because, and I'm not the first person to say this, women know if a baby is theirs biologically right. or not. Men don't really ever know. right. Right, and, and there's there's a lot of power in that. There really is, yeah. and so then you have to control you have bodies to control the women. more, yeah. so that you know that the child right. you're feeding is your child, or right. the child you're leaving your vast estate and fiefdom to <laughs> is your child. Right. right. So the ties between sex and money and power are really strong, and then you add religion and salvation into the mix, right? right? And, and you get a, a religion that increasingly over time, Catholicism as it gets institutionalized in the West, increasingly amasses power and money and, you know, just all of the sort of trappings right. of oppression that, that play out on all of us to this day. Right. And then you do, you tie in sex and salvation and suddenly you have a world where like, Right. Your mind is so much more important than your body, and to be good, you have to be pure. Right. And we create all this mythology around Mary and the way that right. she ends up having Jesus, who they've decided didn't have brothers and sisters, even though Scripture oh, yeah. clearly, clearly says clearly that he did. They yeah. right? just deny it, just pretend it didn't well, happen. That's the right? thing, right? The the um, Mary's immaculate conception, right? So this is an interesting. Well, point. immaculate conception means. 
that she was born without sin, right, but you right. mean the... No, no, but her immaculate conception and her virginity are, are later things. Those are not oh, yeah. scriptural, right, right. biblical not scriptural things. At all. Those are like weird accretions right. over time that are totally wrapped into, right. like, right? Like she could only be chosen. A woman could only be chosen if she had been like born utterly pure, right? right? Like, And then, of course, she had to be a virgin because how could a woman who had like fouled herself right. with sex bear a god right? right so like but it's and but then she and she'd never ever had sex ever for the rest of her life exactly she right. and joseph never right. got and, it and all those people that no, she calls sons and he calls brothers right nope right, no relation. <laughs> no relation. right. then we create no, a whole so story silly. around it just to make right. sure that no one thinks that this woman ever had sex right, right. and that's Sexism. that's the yeah. right and that's what we do we go back and we create these stories in fact for the catholics you know they this idea of sort of canonizing someone and making a saint of someone. I've always wished that they had canonized a couple for their relationship. They've canonized one couple and they were a celibate couple. Like that was, Oh my God, I can't remember their names. It was the 19th century, but they were, they were sort of upheld as this is the ideal couple at two people who chose never to have sex with each other. I mean, when you look at it really frankly, they're probably both gay and they didn't, they didn't want to have sex with each other, and so they they transformed their relationship into some model of spiritual development, which is really just an example of arrested spiritual development, and that's what we keep holding up. Mm-hmm. And so what we want to do now, really, is to say we need to break that. Right, that that kind of dualism is really counterproductive right. and not about spiritual deepening. It makes me think of what you said last week about grieving right that when we cut ourselves off from grieving we isolate we we sort of stunt in a way our growth and our wholeness and it's the right. same thing here right when we deny sexuality and sex as a normal part of human existence and we deny its power for spiritual deepening actually right then we're we're increasingly isolating and cutting off and and sort of um denying the possibility inherent in that level of connection so in some way, I'm actually reaffirming a dualism by even saying that that celibacy on its own is a denial of sexuality and sort of in place of spirituality. And really what I mean is that that spirituality is somehow more valuable than sexuality, that we culturally decide that that if you are sexual you aren't as holy and then if you are spiritual and yet there is also possibility in choosing not to be sexual right we don't want to reaffirm the dualism right right and by saying that that holding someone up for being celibate is a way of affirming the dualism really actually is is also doing that and by critiquing the concept that somebody is being held up for celibacy, I am reaffirming the dualism right. just so, in the other way. Right. So we want to find the place where we're not saying, if you have sex, you are impure and unholy. Right. And not, if you're celibate, then you are perfect and holy. Or even that you're, if but, you're celibate. Right. Or the opposite, right. that if you're celibate, you're denying right. a, a vital part of yourself and how dare you. Right. right? We want to find the place that says... The systems and structures of wealth and power and violence and shame and all of these things that get wrapped up into sex and religion, when you pull those away and everybody has a choice, 
have sex if you want to have sex. Right. Don't have sex if you don't want to have sex. Right. One is not better or worse than the other. As long as we're coming from a place of understanding that sex is part of life, you can choose to do it or not, but it's all, all as all of these things are, it's just part of what being human is. Right. And how you do it and with whom right. is, is on its own just fine as long as no one's getting hurt and changes. So the idea that somebody comes out later in life or that or that they decide that they're straight later in life or whatever, you know, that we change who we are, that this is part of the idea of removing shame so that we can talk about it, we can explore what we like, who we love, how that is, how that looks in the world without the idea that one thing is better than another thing. And what happens when you have systems and structures, society, religion, whatever it is, telling you how you must be around sex, it finds outlets in other ways. Sometimes those might be productive, right? There's a whole world of medieval meditation and literature about God and spirit and growth and depth that is like wildly sexual in nature, right? right? But oftentimes it's not productive. And oftentimes the result is a deep sense of shame that people encounter, right? So then how is it that we live in a society that was really founded by, culturally founded largely by Calvin and a repressive culture, how do we move, how do we shift our culture from that? And it's not just Calvin, we're talking about really 2,000 years of, of history and with real moments of challenging that, right? The whole courtly love. I mean, there's lots of ways that we've challenged it over time, but, but here we are in the 21st century. How do we really untangle this in such a way that people can live their lives as full whole human beings without being afraid of judgment yeah i mean that's the central question right about many things not just sex right how do you take away millennia of accrued shame and guilt and all sorts of things right um and that's where that's where this question about how we approach sex it really is a spiritual question um and yet we don't include it in our spiritual lives right i mean if it almost feels like if we could bring it into our spiritual lives and ask the question in that context have you ever preached about sex oh that's a good question i preached about love I mean, well, yeah, a hundred thousand times, but I mean, but I mean, romantic <laughs> love. I preached about romantic right. love. I was actually in my congregation, my last congregation. I think I was there like six or seven years and realized I'd never preached about romance. I've mm. talked about love, right. Right? like love like is agape, you know, what like just well, what justice love. looks like in the world, yeah. kind of yeah. thing. But but no. So then I did, mm. and it was such a sweet sermon. Mm. People were, you know, kind of holding hands and feeling very. Um, connected, I mean, couples in particular. And yet I'd never preached about it because somehow I had unconsciously fallen into the notion of we don't talk about it. And then when I did, it was great. But I didn't talk about sex in particular, not not in any really explicit way. Why have you? So I don't think I have. I think the closest I've come to ever preaching about sex was um, like an owl service. So owl. But that's like preaching about sex, not preach. You know what I mean? Like what, talk- <laughs> what would the alternative be? I don't know. You, you have to preach about no, things. No, 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 no,
Your little burlesque show at the front. Like, I don't know what. I mean, you're two steps removed there. You're like you're talking about people. So first, let's back up for a second. So Owl is a Unitarian Universalist and United Church of Christ joint venture of sexual education done in congregations. So we just started ours last Sunday. Our fourth to sixth graders have started a ten week round of our whole lives is what owl our whole lives um and they will spend the next 10 weeks with trained adults um you know, trained in the curriculum talking about not just sex but just sort of body education in general relationship relationship yeah. education ethical decision making and they'll, they're going to do it shame free right? right um and so what i'm saying is that i have occasionally preached like a our owl class is starting or our owl class is graduating or right. whatever right to sort of remind everyone that, that one of the things we do is talk to our children about sex in their right. religious education classes right but you're not preaching <clears throat> you're not preaching I'm not sex. preaching like sex positivity yeah that's fair that's fair right and i actually think i mean well on the one hand you know in this the safety of this podcast room i can say that we really need to untangle spiritual from the sexual the truth is that standing in a pulpit in front of a congregation i i am incredibly prim i, I just become ladylike i mean i'm you know <laughs> i i am i i'm more of a prude i mean and yeah. i'm not a prude in my life in any way right. and yet in that context i can feel it i feel myself it's a formality okay. And yet, here's this fascinating thing. So when you're a minister, right, you are in the lives of your congregation, right? And they're in your life in some way. And there's these really clear lines that we try to maintain. But that can become challenging because it is another way that religion kind of works to separate yes. parts of yourself, right? So you are not meant to tell your congregants, even just one-on-one -on -one with ones that you work closely with, about your marital trouble, for example. Right. Not that you Never. have any, I'm just saying. <laughs> right? like, no, I, I wouldn't even like, offhandedly say my husband and I had, right. had an argument. Right. I right. wouldn't be like, I was on a date the other night. Right? These right. are not things that you share. And so right. there's this funny way that we're like, sex positivity, talk about sex in church, and yet right. we also are stymied in doing so by the structures we're that we... We're part of the problem. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Um, but it is really hard to defeat 1500 plus years of these are the lines that clergy observe these are the lines that individuals observe i mean i grew up unitarian universalist so i grew up in a relatively shame-free sex zone if you want to call it that right. right like i had the earlier equivalent of owl and i saw what a dental dam was when i was like 12 <laughs> and they brought him in to show us and whatever right like i don't have a lot of hang-ups around sex because of the way i was raised and yet at the same time it's so institutionally socially strong these right. like ideas of what we can and can't talk about and where we can and can't talk about them and again i think this is why for so many years things got channeled into god talk right uh, so i didn't have like formal religious education as a kid at all and definitely not sex education that i remember but my not a church but my no well we didn't really go to church right my mother's jewish my father's catholic and they despised religion it was really the you know the only thing you couldn't be in my house was religious so naturally you're it was right i know my, my mother's like well you got me i was ready i was ready for drugs i was ready for pregnancy but you're gonna study religion so i'm gonna call my friends and say she got me so yeah so that was like a that was definitely a thing like so there wasn't any religion that was defining that for us and my parents were generally liberal and 
wanted to be a shame-free house, so I don't remember shame ever being part of sex at all as a kid. But there aren't that many households where that's true. I mean, yours, your upbringing, my upbringing, a lot of people are brought up. I mean, my son can't use language that I think is completely appropriate, but other parents are like, like boys can't say the word penis. And I feel That's like... ridiculous. Right. Like, well, exactly what is he supposed... Like, no, he's not supposed to talk about his body at all. Mm. Like, okay, honey. Like, just... Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. This is yeah. this is the world we live in. But that's that's right. what's real. That, that a lot of parents, the shame is part of how they're bringing up their children. Even smart, you know, educated, even liberal people. Not that they're all liberal. But that they still... Because it's it's so ingrained in the culture, mm -hmm. they can't even see it as right. being shaming. So right. there's a way in which we can educate some people, and the more we do that, the more we start to shift culture, because that's how it happens. But I think that's, you asked earlier, how do we undo, you know, millennia of shame around sex, or s sort of the notion of sex as sinful, right? right? Or bodies as to be, you know, simply born until such time as we can escape to heaven. Right. right. Um, I think that a huge piece of that is education, right? So I had sex education at school as well, but my sex education at school, although not shaming particularly, was extremely fear-based, right? Oh, was it really? And these, yeah, oh, God, yes. Have sex, you will die <gasps> of AIDS. Or have no. sex, you will get pregnant and have to have an abortion or not. Or oh, whatever. my God, ours like, was so dry and boring. So, oh, no, it was like... So, and and by the time they told us, it was like we were all we all knew everything yeah, they no. were telling us, and <laughs> so we just were passing notes in class. Like, there was no yeah, reason no. to I mean, there. it was good, and it was thorough, and it was, you know, it was New York City in the, like, 80s and 90s, right? But, like, it definitely... And, and it, for good reason, it, you know, it was a particular moment in time. And, and there was a reason to tell people that sex was scary and bad things could happen, right? Um, but I think if you can, if we could figure out how to take the fear and the shame out of how we educate our children about sex, it would go a long way. But in order to have a fearless and shameless education about sex, you have to actually believe. Well, that's what I'm thinking, right? It's not. It starts with the adults. Right. We need for for the adults to recognize that. Right that this is okay, that sex is okay, and that, that we don't have to feel ashamed. It's not just about, I think people would intellectually say, well, of course there's no shame in sex, but would they sit down with a friend and really talk about it? Right. Talk well, and also, a lot of people would say there's no shame around sex that is heterosexual and procreative, right? Right. And I think what you and I are saying, though we haven't said it outright, and maybe we should because we're trying to like demystify sexy talk on a minister podcast, <laughs> um, is that sex with consenting adults, whatever that looks right. like, however you want to do it, however many people, whatever right. you want to get up to, like right. you do you. Right. And if you don't want to do it, don't do don't it. Don't do it. And yep. there's no shame. As long as no one's getting hurt, it's exactly. All good. As long yep. as everybody's agreeing, everyone's a grown up. Yep. Go to town. Like, right. Do what you got to do. Right. Um, and I think that's it's it is easy. I think for lots of people to get on board with like sex in marriage is fine or right. sex in you know. But I'm saying like turn all the lights on, do what you want to do, and right. like don't be afraid of it. You know. Right. Right. So we need the adults to, to know it, to mm -hmm. own it, to be part of it, and then they pass it on to the kids. Right. Yep. But we're not there. No, we're not. We're not. And it's it starts with a spiritual orientation, right? It starts with stopping thinking that your body is something to be overcome. Mm -hmm. 
right? And so wrapped up in this, and we're not talking about it today, but wrapped up in this is stuff around like ableism and body positivity and all of these ways that we try to make racism, all of these ways that we try to make bodies that don't conform into something naughty and bad and sinful, right? right. Um, and so it's going to take more than just sex positivity. It's going to take a whole host of different positivities <laughs> to get us to a place where we can say your body is a, is a thing that is you. It is all part of you, and you can use it in ways that bring goodness and pleasure, and that's all okay. Right. So it's really about dismantling this entire power structure that defines our culture. But I'm wondering, just in terms of individual people, right? someone right now listening to us and thinking – yeah, why am I ashamed about sex? Or why would I never talk to someone I think is clergy or nun? Or why why would I never talk to them about sex? Why do I think... So what do you think someone can do right now? I'm, I'm kind of thinking a lot of this has to do with naming it. Mm. right? Just our saying it is good. And then people being able to talk to each other. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a huge step, right? I mean, we talked last week in the in the grief episode too about like sometimes what you need is just a space to say the truth, right? Right, and you just need to to be seen and known. So, like, if you're over there having some urge that you think is you know not procreative and heterosexual, and you want to <laughs> tell somebody about it, like find a good trusted friend and tell them about it, and right. maybe that will be liberating in some way, right? right? Like, and if your friends can't take it, find a new one. Yeah, because we really don't need to be surrounded by people right. who are telling us that it's not okay. Whatever it is that we're feeling, even just really normal, you know, just sex, like go on a date, meet a guy, have sex with him, to be able to say that. Right. Like, yeah, I had sex with him. No, I didn't know him for more than 25 <laughs> minutes, but that's what I did. I found a hotel right. room and yeah. I screwed him and it was great. Or it totally sucked. I hated it. He was boring. So that's, right. <laughs> okay, that's another thing, right? This is this other piece of like, Sometimes we try stuff and it doesn't work. Right. And that's okay, right? Like maybe you've been reading Fifty Shades of Grey and you're like, I want to try being tied up. Right. And you try it and it's like, nope, not for me. Right. And there's no shame in that, right? There's no right. shame in exploration. Again, consensual adult exploration, but there's no shame in doing that. Right. And yet we, so again, I mean, I feel like we're going to say this week after week, but a huge piece of this is making space for each other. Mm-hmm. To just say what's real in our lives and not judge each other. Right. And not shame each other over right. it, you know? And then um, to be present. To be, on the one hand, completely present to somebody when they're trying something new and say, it's fine. Like, go. I'm, I'm here for you. And then if it's not good, to also be there and say, oh, I'm sorry. And exactly. listen to them. And then when they go do it again... Like say, okay, go, have fun. Because like, let's be real, we've all tried things and they weren't great. <laughs> they weren't good. <laughs> and like, maybe it just means you need to try them again, or maybe it means they're not for you, and that's okay too. Right, right. Yeah. Just be safe. Yes, always be safe. That's true. I feel like we could do a whole podcast just on like how right. to be safe how when be you're safe. exploring <laughs> your sex positivity, because both of us are trained owl educators, right. so we could we could have a whole episode all about that. I will explain <laughs> dental dams. It'll be a whole thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this is you know when you get down to it. This is about being able to be free to live your life in a way that is whole. Yes. And is not, and and whatever that looks like for you. And part of this, you know, part of this is, we haven't said this outright, but part of this is about hell, right? Like, (laughs) a huge piece of this is around fears about hell, eternal damnation, like, what's going to happen? Is God going to, you know sentence me to forever of torture right (laughs) and like I will speak for both of us here neither of us believe in those right um but taking that away even if you can say even if you like 
are as an adult, you're like, I'm an atheist and I don't believe in hell and I am, I'm a progressive liberal. If you were told as a child, like that gets in deep. <laughs> like if you were told as a child, sex is bad and you're going to go to hell and God will hate you, especially if that sex is gay sex or kinky sex or whatever, that gets in really deep. And so there's a piece that's also about overcoming trauma or integrating, I'm going to say integrating trauma, right. like the trauma of messages that are you know, false and damaging. Right. Right. So there's, for some people, there's going to be some work to undo. Yeah. And for the rest of us, there's a lot of work of just supporting and caring mm-hmm. about and creating space for each other. So I guess I think like find clergy that are willing to talk about sex. And right. Have a chat about it. Right. And like the trauma. Say, hey, I got laid last night. I want to talk about it and see how they react. <laughs> well, but also like, you know, just to sort of see, uh, to try to unpack some of the stuff. Because right. I think for so many people, the shame really is embedded in religious understanding. Yes. So that even if they're not operating with that same religious understanding now, it's so deeply embedded that. Yes. And so go find someone who can, whether it's a friend or whether it's clergy, find someone who can help you unpack. Mm-hmm where your shame around sex is coming from, yeah. right? Like, if you've been squirming for the last 40 minutes, like, find someone to talk about why this made you squirm. Right. And and try to undo, try to unpack, try to own some of whatever those messages were that you're you're still trying to... Yeah. Uh, so we don't run. pass all this on to the next generation. Right. Yeah. So I guess that's our moment of action. <laughs> I guess so. I, <laughs> usually we separate it out, but yeah, it sort of flowed right through. Um, yeah, I think that's fair. Our moment of hope is that there are spaces, religious spaces even, liberal religious spaces, where talking about sex is not going to be verboten, where you can go into the clergy and you can have a chat, you can go into your fellow congregants and you can talk about sex and be open and whole in who you are. And that sounds awful to me. We're still recording, right? Still recording. So there is something weird about this whole conversation, which is that we're talking about being open and honest and free, and yet you and I are not being completely open and honest and free. Right, right. We still have this sort of clergy hat on saying... Right, this is true. Yep. Right, because th- this could have gone differently, right? I could have talked about being single and dating in New York City, and right. that's a whole scene, and, so, and it involves sex, let's be right. real. And you could have talked about your marriage. And that's what, right. And yet... My husband would have been really appreciative of that. Would he? Would he? <laughs> no, no okay. I'm being completely sarcastic. sarcastic. Like, <laughs> um, and yet, again, even you and I, with the best of intentions, are subject to expectations and... Right norms and socially constructed needs right and as right. clergy can't really get on a podcast and just lay it all out there right? right and we call this talking dirty and yet you and i didn't talk dirty at I all i know i know yeah. and maybe maybe there will come a moment when we feel maybe what this is is it's a recognition that we are all works in progress yeah and that for all of us including even liberal progressive clergy who want to teach your kids all about sex even for us there are lines that we're still working to move past yep yep we're still in it we're working yeah. on it we're getting still there. doing it yep well it's good having the conversation anyway okay so we'll just have to make another another podcast about sex well, like in a year when we're further along but i also i will say this makes me feel like i want to try preaching about sex I know, I me haven't. too. I'm thinking the same so thing. I feel like that is that is. Right, the I'm going to try I'm gonna it. To you right now, yep. I'll like pinky There's swear a moment of action. Go out and preach about sex. <laughs> I'll pinky swear you across the table that that within the next year, I will actively preach on sex positivity, not relationships, but sex positivity. Yeah, I think I will too. 
All right. And Amy's cool. here on Sunday. She'll know what it is. We can check back <laughs> in about it at our next time we talk about sex. All right. Let's do it. Okay. Okay.